You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. I can't help myself. I'm going to start the show by making a bloody met weather comment. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and stop myself. I'm gonna try and put my Melbourne off to the side and say, "Welcome to In Psychedelia. It's a show about drugs, not weather." Uh, and uh, thank you to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week from 1 p.m. Uh, you can find more information about them 3cr.org.au, where you can also find their podcast. And while you're there, head to the In Psychedelia program page and do subscribe to our podcast because I promise it is going up every week now. Uh, Ash is uh, onto it. You're, you're learning the um, the the podcasting I, side I of have, the show. I have learnt the mysterious ways of the podcasting. So we're going to be aiming to get that podcast up by Wednesday each week, the yep. following Wednesday after the show. And there is a big backlog of podcasts from the past year that will also be going up uh, alongside uh, a little special something that we're still... I don't know if we can announce it yet. We're still sort of working. On next week, I think. next week, yeah, yeah next week, yeah. we'll do it next week. Uh, sitting across from me is Ash Blackwell. Ash, <laughs> well, welcome. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, hey, We've really already good. been talking, really good. Yeah. and uh, also Penny Hill. Penny, hello. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and my name is uh, Nick Wallace, and this uh, this is in Psychedelia, uh, and it has been um, another busy week. It's always a busy week at the moment. We're on the lead up to an election uh, in the state in mm. Victoria, um, but there's also a federal election looming. I assume it's going to be early next they year. They still haven't called it. Um, I think it has to be by May. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... So pretty soon there's going to be an election um, and uh, over the past week, well, well first up, there's been two um, psychedelic uh, sort of symposiums going on in other parts of the world uh, in uh, Victoria, Canada. Um, the Psychedelic Psychotherapy uh, Forum was running over the weekend. Um, it included pe- uh, people like Robin Carhart-Harris, uh, who's been doing a lot of um, uh, research into psilocybin for a variety of conditions at... Um, uh, in- uh, Imperial College in London um, and there's a variety of other names there, I won't read them all out but um, uh, that's been happening this weekend and then there was another one um, going on in uh, where was the other one? Sweden there was a Swedish really? psychedelic psychotherapy uh, yes, session going on uh, from Saturday till today so it's still on today uh, and including uh, names like Charles uh, Charles Grob uh, ben Cesar, who was in uh, in Australia at the end of last year for the EGA conference, uh, and uh, I'm just looking for like familiar names. Rosalind Watts, who um, has uh, done a lot of uh, work in the UK, I believe. In, in That's fantastic. I used to live in Sweden, and they have a really restricted drug policy, so I'm very... Really? Surprised to hear that. Like, we've got Norway, Denmark, Finland, quite progressive, and Sweden's just in the middle going, nobody uses illicit drugs here. And when I was there, which was 2014, I wrote my master's thesis on opioid overdose, and Sweden had the second highest rate of death from opioid overdose in Europe. I thought Sweden they, had some sort of... I thought they did uh, heroin prescribing and, and no, had some relatively... that's Switzerland. That's Switzerland. Oh, well, this happens when you have yeah. two countries with s And then you've got, like, Denmark, which is right next door that has mobile consumption consumption bans and things like that and then sweden is just in the middle they've got really really good harm reduction for alcohol and tobacco Mm. but when it comes to illicit drugs they just kind of say no yeah sweden is the only country in the world i believe that is considered um by the international standards tobacco free because their smoking rates are under five percent wow Is, is sweden also the country that has nationalized alcohol 
Like alcohol yeah. sales are only yeah, yeah, yeah. through... So they're all through government. Same as Canada, though. Right. Okay, um, yeah. Well, Canada's state-based, so like it's run by the, the provincial government. Right. Uh, yeah, their liquor stores, which is where they're going to start selling cannabis through those stores as well. It's, it's an easy, easy. Um, no, I actually like the idea of that system. Sorry, any like libertarian free market <laughs> people listening, but uh, it's a it's a product that sells itself and uh, sometimes quite dangerously. So um, yeah. having that kind of uh, restrictive sale might actually um, mediate some of those problems. Yeah. So. but yeah, in Sweden they um, it's all state run liquor stores, and they're all open. Every liquor store in the country sells the exact same. Products. So there's no brand. There's oh no, no they're, they're all oh, brands, they're... but they import them. Yeah, they import. Them. There's, they, Do they have leave a huge the labels range. On? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you, it's not like um, tobacco in in, in no, Australia, no, no, where no. everything's in a. It's just that it's sold that baby way. Baby vomit green. So they don't give they don't give out licenses to other. Well, they, they have bars, but um, in terms of selling yeah. takeaways. So you can yeah all... so so yeah takeaway alcohol you have to go to the the government sort of mandated business. Um, but then I yeah. assume and, and that means actually... there's no no profit going to a private enterprise. It's all going back into whatever needs to be done, treatment, uh, education, yeah, exactly. all that sort of thing. Yeah. So sounds like sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lie in the pockets of some moron idiot. Of, I don't know. I'm probably making fun of rich people now, but uh, not not. But all that, that's fantastic to hear. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. Psychedelic symposium in Sweden. It's, it's really interests me. It's it's funny because I actually um, a friend of mine um, was living in Sweden for a little bit, and he uh, he was he hooked up with a girl there and she was part she's part of the Swedish psychedelic society and apparently it's a bit of a underground scene there very sensible um but yeah, yeah so I'm there must be a not surprised a... there's an underground scene but yeah. I'm surprised that they could kind of put out this public forum the, yeah right well Sweden yeah. has one of the highest rates of uh sourcing illicit drugs from the dark net as well so yeah. they have like quite a highly educated and wealthy society that um subverts maybe the usual uh pathways for illicit drug supply so it's a, it's a little bit of a different game there. Mm. And they also liberalised their drug policies back in was it the late '60s or something? They they had a they went like pretty far towards the liberalisation of their. They, drug They policy. were one of the first countries that had methadone. Mm-hmm. I remember that was in the '60s. They got it before us. Yeah, I think they but went I a little bit further than that, and, and well, like the not that I was around then. But yeah, I can't that's one of the reasons it. why. Um, it's one of their reasons why they're they're one of the harshest now is because they kind of um, similar to the Greens when they brought in progressive drug policies mm. into their platform in around two thousand and four and copped a lot of heat for it and backed away for you know a bit over a decade. Yeah, well, they're back onto it now. And, they are. Um, it's good to see. It's good to see. It, it I'm, is I am a fan. Very good to see. And I also saw that the, I mean, we're sort of getting into news now. Shall we just keep flowing and, yep. and get into Let's some news? Let's just do it. Uh, I did see some news um, from New Zealand that the New Zealand Greens Party will be supporting yep. uh, pill testing. Um, and that is in uh, in support of Know Your Stuff uh, NZ, who are one of the, well, I, I don't know about any other organisations that are doing pill testing. No, they're doing it. They are essentially the drug monitoring and early warning system at the moment for for illicit drugs in New Zealand, and mm. still operating in a very grassroots kind of grey area of the law. But they have a, a pretty fancy piece of tech that they take along. They do. It's the same kind of tech that was used at Groove in the Moo and, and used by the Loop, the the Baruka Alpha Fourier Trans 
form infrared spectrometer. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's we'll the name you. of it. FTIR for short. It's a laser that shines across a molecule and the light scatters in a certain way. And, yeah. Well, it's, um, it's fantastic they're getting that support. And I think they're actually in consultation with not just the Greens but the actual government in terms of trying to legalise the drug checking. Yeah. Um, so yeah. something about the Section 12 of their drug policy is that you can't um, permit a, a site to know about its drug consumption or, or, or something. So oh, yeah. that's we, kind of... We have similar. We have similar, sort of but, you know, what Wendy's been saying is that, um, well, that's not actually supposed... It wasn't written to restrict harm reduction services. That's just, it. unfortunately, mm-hmm. like the way that it's been used against them kind of. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it's good to see that the government's starting to talk about changing that. And because mm. um, I did one of the festivals with them, oh, maybe two years ago now. I went over with that first year. They had the broker and, um, yeah, it was uh, really good the, the way that the festival interacted with the police and things. But so they kind of okay with it. Um, and they've never been prosecuted for doing it. Um, but it's technically not legalised. Mm. Yeah, so they, there's a few like gaps to fill up just in case a, a new government comes in and decides, oh, we're going to crack down on people that have been doing fantastic work mm. because we're ideologues, mm. uh, like some of the people here. Although it seems to be have been going fairly well in New Zealand um, in terms of a, a lot of progressive uh, politics and progressive uh, ideas. And, and just a reminder as well that New Zealand's drug market is... Um, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can say one of the most adulterated in the world because I don't know. There's probably much more adulterated places, but in terms of the Western world, mm. uh, it does uh, tend to be fairly highly adulterated and um, expensive in terms of the traditional sort of substances that you expect uh, people to take in a party setting because they're just so far away. Yeah, uh, it's an island in the middle of the whatever that ocean is, Pacific. <laughs> I think Atlantic. you should know that ocean. <laughs> oh, no. One on that side, one on that side. And then there's um, the one in the middle. And then a couple it's of weeks ago... It's all one body the, of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, um, the Prime Minister also stood up and went out against um, Trump's policy that he announced at the UN to mm-hmm. crack down and, and continue the war on drugs. And a lot of countries agreed to that, including Australia and Canada, which was interesting. Uh, there was a lot of talk that, you know, because of trade negotiations... I mean, that's how the UN works. You can't just say yes because you agree with that policy. You have to take into account everything else, all the other countries you work with in terms of every other negotiation. Actually, even Canada signed up to it. While we have you um, sitting here, because you have been along to the United Nations um, with the discussions on the international uh, treaties Mm. and and been a representative of uh, civil um, society and organisations in Australia, uh, what what did you think of... um, Donald Trump's uh, sort of, I mean, he he does this sort of stuff a lot and and we're not sure what it sort of means because it's so outside of the scope of how everything else has has worked in the past. Uh, Is it it likely to affect the direction of drug policy when the United Nations office on, sorry. Well, it's uh, interesting because that all happened at the General Assembly, which is in New York. Um, And as I've mentioned before, we have the review of the 2009 political declaration next year. It's a major year in terms of the Commission of Narcotic Drugs, which is the basically the UN Drug Summit that happens every year in March in Vienna. Mm. Um, that's the one that I usually go along to. Um, and next year is kind of the re- review of the 2009 um, goals that were set, so a 10-year target to um, eliminate drug use and drug trafficking and drug production. Um, so there's 
you know, they clearly haven't been successful in eliminating drugs from society and the goal was to do that by 2019. So they have to review what they're going to set their new targets for for the next 10 years. So it's a bit interesting because when Trump kind of came out and said that at, at the UN, it's it's interesting because, well, it we have to kind of wait for next year for that session at the actual UN Office of Drugs and Crime to, to talk about the conventions and things. So. Yep. Yeah. But he d- he likes to try and supersede these things and overhaul them. I mean, and this is one of the things about it. Although we have all like everybody knows how it works, but if somebody with enough power comes along and says, "No, nah, that's not how it works. I'm going to do it my way," knowing nothing about what anybody else has talked about, but if they have enough power, they can literally steamroll the whole process. Mm. And we've seen Trump do this. We've <laughs> seen um, other people try to emulate this kind of process of just like steamrolling whatever everybody else is doing. Um, because I don't know they're narcissistic brats or whatever. I mean, is there? Uh, he's he's got this this statement, um, a declaration or whatever. I don't know if it has I any particular standing. Yeah, it was just something just uh, trying to get he was trying to get a bunch of people to, to sign on 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 basically the same thing that the uh, that the international order has been trying to do for the past um, 60, 70 years. Mm, what what is like very worrisome about it is that um, every country did sign it except for New Zealand and Uruguay, so every yeah. UN country. So, yeah, right. yeah that's it's not good. Um, I don't know if it will have much impact, but the fact that all of our governments... Um, Are being little... Yeah. And, <coughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it's, but, it's but New Zealand didn't sign it, so... Good on you, good on New them. Zealand. They said this doesn't agree with our drug policy. What he stated doesn't agree with our drug policy either, but no. they signed it, so... Yeah, because um, as, as you said, there's a lot of other considerations yeah, with these sorts of a... things, and some people are trying to be good diplomats while this guy just does what he wants. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, you reminded me um, just before when you were mentioning um, trying, to, trying to get to a specific part in New Zealand's drug law, um, and I was, I was reading through the... Uh, Victoria's drug legislation, the Victorian um, Drugs, Poisons, Controlled Substances Act, nineteen eighty one. The other day, is that what you do in your spare I time? I do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> now, I haven't I haven't actually looked through it in a while. I, I, I obsessed about it a few years ago, and I'm fairly, you know, not much has changed. Oh, there's a few been a few few things changed, but I just was reminding myself of a few of the uh, awful things that we have in Victoria, like the fact that you're not allowed to uh, publish uh, any material. It's fairly broad. Publish any material that has to do with not just manufacture and, and cultivation, mm. but um, um, just just sort of broadly about drugs, which means that um, a lot of a lot of books which are informative about drugs in this state are technically illegal. Um, and if somebody wanted to use those laws, they could. If if uh, police wanted to prosecute prosecute using those laws, they couldn't. I think they carry a jail sentence. Yeah, this right. is for owning a book or selling a book. That's- Which is amazing, but it, what amazes me most is that I tried to kick up a little bit of a thing about it. Maybe I'm just not very good at doing that, uh, and nobody seemed to care. I'm like, they literally banned books, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, you will go to jail for owning certain kinds of literature. Uh, and this is not bomb-making literature. This is not like, you know, this is not how to be a terrorist literature. This is like uh, how, to, how to put a seed in the ground and make it grow. It's ridiculous. So yeah. I just maybe tie this together to a current news story. Um, Thanks. <laughs> these, <laughs> um, back to the news. Well, no, I mean, you're talking about banning books, which is just kind of hilarious in the age of the internet. Who reads books anymore? Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, we listen to audiobooks, we read articles, we listen to podcasts like this one. Um, and just this last week, uh, 10 alternative media sites have been banned from Facebook. Well, sorry, more than 10. I think it was about 500 and um, 250-odd personal accounts uh, covering a range of issues. One that people might know of is the Free Thought Project. Um, and other sites have been 
pretty much just disappeared from Facebook. This is something that we've seen in the uh, area of drug policy advocacy and, and, you know, drug culture, like cannabis sites and things like this, um, disappeared from search algorithms uh, a few weeks back. I think they maybe have reappeared, but... All of, a, all of a sudden overnight, a whole bunch of um, sites, some, so I think even some of the ones that myself and Nick uh, admins on uh, disappeared from the search algorithms. And um, it's, I mean, I don't know what to say ab- about this. It's just, a, it's an interesting phenomenon that's maybe a little bit concerning around the, um, the ways that these large corporations now, which, you know, uh, people wrap their lives around and mm. intertwine with, have a lot of power to, without recourse, just disappear these sites for no particular reason. Um, this site, the the Free Thought Project, it was a, you know, a bit of a content aggregator. They would share different media from different places, and the justification for banning them seems pretty thin. Uh, the The justification by Facebook was that um, they were breaching their uh, rules around. Uh, spam and inauthentic behavior, which is quite a strange justification um, when you see other sites that exist in the space that um, aren't banned. Like, how are they? How are they determining these rulings? And it's um, it's particularly concerning as well. And and a bit later in the in the show, you'll hear a bit about this from the Entheogenesis Australis conference last year. Um, Mark Pesky was talking about um, talking about the power that organisations like Facebook and other social media companies have now. Um, and, and that power isn't just as a platform, but as an active manipulator of what you see. That um, that feed that we're constantly scrolling through, there's a reason why we constantly scroll through it and, um, and, and feel like we need to. Like, the people that are writing the programs for these are the same people that write programs for Pokey Machines mm. to get people hooked to these... Um, uh, sort of little cues. Um, so it's it's uh, in in that context, they're now trying to control based on fairly ambiguous um, community standards. A lot of the time, like uh, there's a there's a lot of things that I've seen on Facebook where I'm like, oh, okay, that seems questionable, and then other things that get removed very quickly. It seems that uh, don't that I don't feel like uh, I don't know. I've never seen them being against the standards that I generally see in the community. So I just wonder what community are they basing these standards mm. off in the first place? It just, it's, it's, um, they've become very powerful. Uh, they don't seem to have any particular transparency to their process. You can't talk to a human. If you want to talk to somebody about something, you can't, you can't find somebody. I think they have a Facebook office in Australia somewhere. I don't know how many people work here, but it's probably under 100, um, even though probably most of Australia is on Facebook. So under 100 people to look after, let's say, 20 million or let's say 10 million people. I won't, let's not go too far, but even that, you know, 10, even 5 million, even 100,000, 100,000, 100 people looking after 100,000 people. It's it, You can't do it. Mm. So they have to use these algorithms by necessity, but I think that's the, the trap that they're spinning for themselves. Um more news. <laughs> you got one? Uh, yeah. uh, look, this is... Sorry, I had one. I'll, I'll just mention this one because it's, there's, there's two parts to this one. Um, it's not quite drug news, um, but it is festival news. I just thought it was a bit funny. The uh, Fire Festival, this festival um, that got uh-huh. planned, uh, it was a bit of a scam um, at the end of last year, I think it was, and it was meant to be this big festival in the Bahamas, whatever, on an island. Uh, Blink-182 is going to come and play. And um, the guy that ran it was this guy that... 
that had um, been apparently running a bunch of scams uh, beforehand. Twenty six years old, uh, and he just he just had these grandiose visions and absolutely no skill to put together any of this vision. So it was all just you know it's like, it's like you know when when you're playing made up games when you're eight. Well, this guy never grew out of that, <laughs> and he started charging people money for his made-up games. Anyway, a bunch wow. of people turned up to the Bahamas Island to uh, what what seems like a a emergency relief camp, <laughs> and was, oh, was served no. like sandwiches with a piece of a piece of cheese in it. Uh, anyway, oh, so he did put something on for them. Yeah, maybe like some old tomato as well. Uh, the, he he got sentenced this week. <laughs> Um, and he's got six years in prison, not just because of that scam, but because when he got after that, um, he, he sort of was like, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. And then immediately started doing it again to the same people he'd just scammed. So, uh, yeah, not a real intelligent fella, but, um, I, I mentioned that and I want to link it to Victoria because there are, uh, I mean, we, we see these... They, Every now and then, probably everybody's come across a business person who acts in this kind of way, who has a, a vision bigger than their own skill set uh, or their own ability to talk other people into doing it for them uh, can do. And uh, this one particular festival, uh, I don't know if we should mention it because he's particularly should, litigious. The, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. The documents are available from the Ararat uh, Rural City Council and we can... in. Inform people that it seems at this stage that EarthCore's permit for running their event this year has been denied. Um, and reading right. from the council minutes, um, the, uh, the there's a few. There, there's, it's quite an extensive document, and there's like there's a lot of procedures to these things. There's yep. different areas of environmental management, fire risk, Every safety that all it. needs to be yeah. considered. Uh, and some of the reasons stated uh, in the council uh, minutes are that the proposed site is unsuited uh, to use at this time of year, given the fire risk um, and an access road that uh, wasn't deemed suitable for emergency access for um, uh, fire access or emergency evacuation of the site. It was in the. I had a look at the map of the site, and it was in close proximity to the Grampians National Park, like pretty much right adjacent to it. Which poses a significant fire risk mm, especially um, this year it's going to be very it seems like it's going to be a, a pretty hectic fire season yeah they they also highlighted that um the poor quality of the documentation and plans provided as part of the application when did not adequately address the risks associated with the event in enough detail to um to comply with the requirements of the the council's permit process. And um, it seems like a lot of it was to do with the fire risk and a little bit to do with uh, the environmental management. There was also some criticism of the uh, stated approach to managing the the noise, um, where there were, I think there were residents within three kilometres of the site and the proposed way of uh, managing that was, you know, having a two-way radio and turning the music down if it was a problem, which the council didn't consider to be adequate. Um, so it seems at this stage that that event won't be going ahead. I believe you can still buy tickets, though. So just uh, tell your friends not to buy tickets at this stage, um, yeah, just for, on, for, for danger. Sure. Um, and also, you can't sue people for defamation for reporting truth, Spiro. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Penny, your turn. Um, I just wanted to say that um, the if you've heard that the Malaysian government has um, said that they will abolish the death penalty for all crimes, um, including drug-related crimes. So that's really good progression in that 
kind of part of the world in in Malaysia where a lot of people, I think 1,200 people are on death row at the moment and most of them for drug crimes. Um, But as we go a little bit forward in one country, we're going um, backwards in in Bangladesh where they've just recently approved the death penalty specifically for drug-related crimes, which includes... um, a maximum sentence of the death penalty for producing, smuggling and distributing and using more than five grams of yaba, which is what they call methamphetamine over there. So that's really, really horrible. There's already um, a lot of extrajudicial killings happening in, in Bangladesh at the moment. Hundreds of people have died this year, but uh, it's really horrible to see that now the government's actually approved mm. officially. Is this because penalty. people in, in other southeastern countries are looking to Rodrigo Duterte as a, as a, a positive example? Yeah, so that, that comes out a, a lot. Um, the, all the extrajudicial killings in the in the Philippines and everything that Duterte's done is a lot of countries are seeing that as well that's how we get rid of um, drug related um, harms to our society um, and he's you know saying that what he's doing is working so like Bangladesh and now Sri Lanka as well have kind of come out in support of the way he does things and said well this is how we're going to do it in our country um, and also um the Philippines is currently the leader or the, I don't know what they call it, but like I think every year it change, changes with ASEAN, which is like essentially like the European Euro, Union, but for Asia. Um, the Philippines leads that this year, so Duterte mm. leads that. So when they have a summit, he, his, you know, the Philippines is always there saying, well, we're leading this at the moment, this is what you should do in our region. So, um, yeah, it's really, really, really horrible um, to hear that, that, now this another gov- government's approved the death penalty, mm. where we're obviously as a as the world trying to push towards abolishing the death penalty for every crime. So, um, from the Washington Post, the a new study from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has been um, looking into uh, the effect of uh, cannabis uh, intoxication on driving. And they found uh, that um, people who use cannabis are at a significantly lower risk for a crash than drivers who use alcohol. Uh, They stated uh, rather precisely that at the current time, specific drug concentration levels cannot be reliably equated with a specific degree of driver impairment. So what they're trying to say, what they are saying there, is that uh, even when you can measure somebody for a certain level of uh, THC in their blood, like THC uh, in their blood, um, that it doesn't necessarily correlate with uh, an increased um, an increased risk of uh, of, of crashing. Yeah. Uh, so it's with alcohol, it is fairly uh, it is a fairly good correlate. So we've kind of got used to this idea of you put, you know you have a breath test and um, that relates to how uh, how intoxicated somebody is. But it's just the the same science doesn't apply to cannabis, and it's probably for different drugs it probably doesn't um, apply in the same way. So we need a. Uh, a smarter approach to road safety. We absolutely need to look at road safety, but um, removing people from the road because we have detected a, a THC metabolite, which is what we do in, in Australia, uh, absolutely uh, looks like it does not uh, In affect. the UK, they have threshold, different thresholds for different drugs for drug driving. Um, and you'd think maybe Australia would follow the UK rather than... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you might think that. You might think that. <laughs> Um, I think that the the studies that I've read on the drug driving, um, one of the reasons for that discrepancy is frequent users that have a tolerance Mm. and are more familiar with the effects um, tend to be able to have a higher concentration of THC metabolites in their system without it impairing their driving so much as somebody who maybe 
hasn't consumed cannabis before or consumes it infrequently um, could consume the same amount and be very impaired by that. So it's very hard to, to tell. Mm. And especially in the world of medical cannabis, where people with chronic conditions might be taking doses regularly to control their symptoms and then that you know that they might not be affected by that because their tolerance is there and it's really just for symptom control they're not after the psychoactive effects hmm. it's something that um we obviously need to replicate in australia because um that's what we do we redo the, the signs i look everyone everyone redoes these things but um uh, we need to be doing this um there is the, the tac maybe could be doing that or monash um monash i know has a, a highway like a road research centre out in Gippsland, I think. Maybe they could be doing this. Maybe they already are. I'm not sure. We should look into it. Um, But it's uh, very important because um, at the moment people, uh, as we were talking about last week, are being removed from the roads for for reasons that don't actually uh, positively affect um, uh, road safety. Um, We've probably been rambling for long enough for now. (laughs) I've got um, a fair treatment campaign, which was launched by the, uh, well, it's the Uniting Church of New South Wales and ACT Synod's uh, campaign to decriminalise drug use um, and to uh, put more uh, put more money and resources towards treatment, and we've got a bit of audio from that um, that we'll be playing uh, shortly. You're on In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. This year's TILDA, Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival, is packed with stories that represent the rich tapestry of trans and gender diverse people's lives. The program runs from Thursday the 8th to Sunday the 11th of November at Footscray Community Arts Centre and celebrates the best trans and gender diverse cinema on offer, along with Q&A sessions with festival guests and opening and closing night events. Program details and tickets are available at tildamelbourne.com. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. our Community Radio, uh, as you just heard. And we're going to hear um, a little bit of audio from the Fair Treatment Campaign launch, which happened in Sydney at Sydney Town Hall uh, on... Uh, is it Thursday or Friday? Uh, Thursday? I think it was Thursday. I'm looking here for know. a conference. It was Friday. It was Friday. Friday morning. Friday morning. Um, and uh, it was um, the speakers at the event were uh, uh, Khalid Tanasti, from, uh, the Executive Secretary of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, Sir Richard Branson, who's also a part of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, uh, Marion Jauncey, uh, who is the Medical Director of the Sydney Medically Supervised Injecting Centre. And I didn't actually catch the name of the MC, but there's an MC uh, lady as well. I, yeah, I, I assume she's from. Uh, Uniting Church or something like that, um, you might hear a little bit of her voice in there as well. So this is from the uh, launch of the Fair Treatment Campaign, which is the Uniting Church Synod of New South Wales and the ACT, uh, supporting a, a change to drug laws. If we look today in that kind of polarization that is happening in the world with some countries that are really trying to move away from prohibition, regardless of what it is, and still the prevailing paradigm of prohibition in the majority of the world, I mean, Australia still obviously supports that and still supports prohibition and still supports the international conventions that 
delegitimize the system and do not allow countries to try more. I mean, when, it, when we talk about safe injection facilities, Switzerland, the first one that opened them, had reports by the UN every year saying you are outside of the conventions, you are outside of the conventions today. It is recognized as a medical intervention that is very um, uh, um, cost-effective and effective. Uh, Nevertheless, I mean, to say that Australia is still there, uh, still in the prohibition paradigm and defending it, Australia is doing quite some work, good work at the international level as well. If we think about the Human Rights Council, for instance, it has supported and sponsored resolutions to call upon the end of, the viol of human rights violations and drug control, for instance. It also does some efforts to fund access to essential medicines in sub-Saharan Africa. So there are some ways to try to mitigate this position, mm. but nevertheless, it remains obviously on the prohibition side globally. Okay. Now one one yep. thing that the Global Commission has suggested to countries and to states in America and other places um, for the last 10 years is experiment with, with different approaches and let's see if they work. Um, and uh, the Obama administration did experiment with different approaches. So. Um, in some, some states, um, maybe 30 or 40, uh, medical marijuana is mm. has been legalized. Um, in some states, um, cannabis has been um, completely legalized. Um, and so now, after a few years, we're able to look at these situations and see, has it had a dramatically worrying effect? Um, and in fact, what's, what, what, is, what, what it has shown is that the states that are selling medical marijuana, that medical marijuana is helping an awful lot of people for an awful lot of problems. In the states where it's been legalized, uh, the amount of people who are taking marijuana has not increased. Um, okay. it's, it's been completely steady. But instead of the money from the sale of that marijuana going into the underworld and being used for all sorts of you know, nefarious reasons, it's going back into the state. So it's being used for education, it's being used for health. It's being used for uh, drug rehabilitation centers. Um, it's being used for alcohol centers. And, um, and it, you know, it's working. So I think the commission has realized, having seen these experiments around the world, that deregulating, um, uh, uh, sorry, regulating drugs and letting the state uh, be, be in charge of it uh, is far safer than letting the underworld do it. Um, ecstasy, I mean, kids, who die from ecstasy tablets at, at concerts, invariably it's laced with something else. Um, in Holland, they have the sensible, uh, you know, sensible position where they test an ecstasy tablet. Pill testing at one. festivals, that's certainly um, something that Australia is discussing yeah, as well, so, I think, now. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, so with the Commission, we'd just like to see more, more, more places experimenting with different approaches so we can actually make a decision. But so far, the, the, the the states and the countries that have tested a new approach, we feel it's working. Yeah, because one of the things is, you know, that you said, I think there's, a, there's the concern that if we remove criminal sanctions, suddenly we'll send a message that, that drug use is okay. But actually, you know, as you say, when you look at what's happened in places, people don't suddenly take up heroin use and become drug users. And actually what we know is um, within Australia, 43% of people admit to using illicit drugs. That's admit those of you that is admit the key it. word there. <laughs> um, so basically, we're talking about you know at least 50%, probably the majority of this room that's tried 
illicit drugs. You know, that's one in two. So, I don't know, looking from either side of you. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're not... Have you got a split? <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about a problem that belongs to them. We're talking about a problem that belongs to us. You know, I mean, 90% of people who take drugs um, do it like 90% of people who take alcohol. They can, they can, they can smoke a spliff and, you know, and manage it without getting addicted to it. Um, you know, there, there, there are people with alcohol or people who smoke cigarettes in excess or people who take marijuana in excess that have problems. Um, but there are, they're, they're there anyway. And, and um, uh, so if you can regulate and actually warn people of the dangers of, of drugs, um, you know, we believe that's a much more sensible way to go. What would you say to someone who thinks that there might be an added burden on the taxpayer if we were to treat people it, for drug addiction? Imagine the, um, the burden on the taxpayer putting people into prison. I mean, that, it, it costs an enormous amount to have somebody in prison. Um, and an awful lot of um, people with drug problems end up in prison. Um, use, the, use the money that you would otherwise put uh, to put people into prison into, uh, in, into rehabilitating them and, and bringing them back into society. The sooner you can get people back into society running their own businesses and paying taxes and looking after themselves and, and, and not having to, you know, um, to go into uh, you know, needle exchanges and other places, the better. Yeah. We know that for every dollar you spend on treatment, you save at least seven. It's cost effective. It makes economic sense. It's basic human kindness, but it also makes good scientific sense and economic sense. Okay. Richard, do you think that sort of changing um, policy here in Australia starts with changing the conversation? Do you think that we need to be hearing more from drug users themselves in the national conversation? Well, both those videos were so powerful in, in, um, uh, in explaining what the problem is. And I think um, anyone who saw those two videos would, would, would I think, decide that the current system is not working and that there needs to be a change. That's our cue, I think. Thanks, uh, Sir Richard Branson. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, from the Fair Treatment campaign launch in Sydney at the City Town Hall on Friday morning. Uh, and I, th I think the answer is yes, we do need to be hearing from more people uh, who use drugs. And, and like, I mean, the reality is that we uh, often point out that um, you do actually hear from people. It's just that people's definition of what a drug is is a fairly shifty definition rather than being what a drug actually is. It's usually some kind of legalese definition or... Uh, or something drawn from uh, propaganda or from um, uh, from rhetoric. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you were hearing there from uh, Khalid, uh, Khalid Tanasti, Executive Secretary of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, Sir Richard Branson, and Marion Jauncey, Medical Director of the uh, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre in Sydney. Uh, in Sydney. Um, the videos that they were uh, uh, alluding to in that talk, um, not sure if they are available on the website yet, but you can head to fairtreatment.org. It's one word, fairtreatment.org, uh, and find out more about the campaign. And I suspect that those videos will be made available over the next few weeks. Um, we are going to hear a little bit from, um, from Entheogenesis Australis Conference last year. Um, Again, not it's not specifically uh, drug related, but Michael Pesky, the uh, the speaker, um, 
sort of turns the well, as I'm talking about definitions of uh, of drugs. Look, actually, maybe we'll, we'll have a quick talk about that in a tick. Uh, this is formidable vegetable sound system with patterns revegetated on in psychedelia. Formidable Vegetable Sound System from the album Radish Beats, which you can um, pay as you wish to pick up. Uh, available, look up Formidable Vegetable Sound System and you'll find that. And that song was Patterns Revegetated. It's a bunch of uh, the albums full of songs that they have uh, uh, done before. Uh, re redone. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name's Nick in the studio with Ash Blackwell and Penny Hill uh, and I'm um, going to play a short segment uh, from one of the Entheogenesis Australis talks with uh, Mark Pesky. Uh, the uh, talk is The Last Days of Reality, the full talk available at the EGA YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash entheotv or uh, just look up the EGA uh, website. Uh, and Mark was talking uh, here about the confluence of four technologies. Um, he's calling Facebook's fake news a technology. I'm not sure about that. But uh, augmented reality, neuromarketing, and machine learning, and what the effect of the, the confluence of those uh, is, is having on our ability to uh, engage with the world around us um, without just becoming, uh, uh, his words, docile, compliant, and completely in the thrall of corporations and organizations that seek above all else to control us uh, through our experience. Um, Mark is an inventor, uh, author, educator, broadcaster, and entrepreneur. He has... Uh, sorry. He he was um, with the uh, Australian Film, Television, and Radio School afters, uh, doing some work with them uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, he was also on the ABC's New Inventors uh, as one of the judges uh, on that panel. Uh, for He was on there for seven years. Uh, and he's uh, also got interests in gaming, autonomous vehicles, uh affordances for the disabled and safety so he's a real uh, he's a futurist so he does all that sort of stuff um so this is this is mark uh, on the ega stage in late 2017 uh talking a little bit about uh facebook in particular um but the sort of technology that's it's unleashed on the world uh that many other organizations can use now hello to the age of surveillance capitalism this is where artificial intelligence plus surveillance pervasive surveillance seems to be designed to serve your needs, but in reality, what it's doing is it's depriving you of your free will. Now, I have some more bad news. Facebook may have built this bomb, but because they did now, everyone knows how to build one. Because it doesn't matter whether Facebook goes away tomorrow. It doesn't matter if all of us stopped using Facebook tomorrow. Because we now know how to build global-scale artificial intelligences that can manipulate entire populations. That's quite an achievement, sort of. I want you to consider the humble and extremely evil Pokey Machine. That machine is already very carefully programmed to provide irregular rewards to your dopaminergic system. It is the best way we know to evoke compulsive behavior in a human being, and the designers of Pokies have studied them. 
they embody this in their designs. Now, let's take that up a level. Let's say that there's a camera in a casino that's feeding a sophisticated artificial intelligence that can recognize facial expressions, could even read the sweat beads off the forehead, and then feed that back into the pokey's results, and then the entire environment of the casino would be watching, and it would be learning, and it would be responding in a way that best produces compulsive behavior. I mean, that's what Facebook has done. Why wouldn't Crown? So this is what the world actually looks like across a century where our machines observe and learn from and manipulate our behavior, where influence is being weaponized. And it won't stop there. Because all of these techniques, they are now overflowing into every system that we have that's connected. Each of them are learning and responding in just the way they know they need us, they need to, to get us to do what they want. Everything in the world is now starting to use all of the data collected about you to move you. And that's why this isn't really a story about Facebook. This is a story about us. Because once we learn how to do something, once we acquire a new tool, we tend to apply it relentlessly and recklessly. So one of the subtexts of EGA this year is the medicalization of psychedelic drugs. It's something that many have long wanted. It's legitimacy. It's also something we need to dread. Because the moment that surveillance capitalism engages with psychedelic drugs, the race for SOMA is going to be well and truly on. And we will watch ourselves as we learn how we react to these substances, and we will tune them until they are exactly what we need to put ourselves squarely in the power of others. That's how this world works. That's how more and more aspects of our world works. And that's why, back at the beginning, I asked folks to leave this room. Because this is not a dystopian novel by Philip K. Dick. This is the 21st century. Now, you might be thinking, Jesus, Mark, that's horrible. Please, please, stop. We're not done yet. It gets weirder. We already have all of this technology of surveillance capitalism that's designed to watch you and learn about you and undermine you. All of that is about to combine with a new technology, a new technology that's just emerging, one that's going to take us to a new level. Hold on, there's a costume change. It's Christmas morning, just a few years from now. Look what Santa has brought the kids. It looks pretty much like a thick pair of sunglasses, weighs about as much as a cheap smartphone. It's self-contained. You pop them on. They power up automatically. And all of a sudden, you're seeing the world differently. Well, it's the world plus. You're seeing things that, that aren't really there. They look real. They act real, you treat them as though they're real. Welcome to the world of augmented reality. Augmented reality is the next big thing. Everyone agrees on this. It's the thing that's going to get you to stop staring down into your screen of your smartphone all day long. It will get you looking up and out and engaged with the world around you. 
a world that's better than it was, a world that's more interesting than it was, a world that is finely tuned to your tastes and your needs. Now this year, at its big developer conference, now do you know what the big Facebook developer conference is named? Anyone you want to shout it out? Fate. I'm not making that up. All right. At the big developer conference, Mark Zuckerberg walks out on stage and opens up his keynote, promising these augmented reality spectacles in a couple of years. Facebook is working really hard to make these a reality. Now, here's the important thing. Here's the thing that no one is telling you about augmented reality. It has to see the world around you in order to do the things that it does, because otherwise you'd have virtual things materializing in the middle of other things, kind of like a really bad Star Trek transporter accident. So augmented reality to work has to maintain a state of constant surveillance. Augmented reality is a technology of surveillance. And Facebook is going to love augmented reality. They love watching your every move. Augmented reality for Facebook is a hypodermic needle plugged right into your experience. It feeds it all right back into Facebook. And when it gets fed into Facebook, it gets fed into your profile. That profile already determines what shows up in your newsfeed. Now Facebook is going to use that profile to determine what shows up in your reality. It's going to fashion your own private world on the fly. Facebook will be curating your reality. It will be delivering the best of all possible worlds. All you need to do in return is to give Facebook access to your eyes. Of course, in reality, what's happened? We've already given Facebook our eyes. 50 minutes a day, we're sitting there staring into the newsfeed. Facebook is sitting there telling us what we want to hear. Of course, the example I've just given you feels different than what we feel day to day because it doesn't feel like looking down at the screen. The screen feels like it's at a safe distance because it's not part of us. Now, the screen may be at the end of our arms, but that doesn't mean it's not already completely inside our heads. I'm going to leave it there. It does go on. It's a 45-minute talk. Mark Pesky, the last days of reality, talking about um, some of these techno uh, technologies, some of them already upon us, uh, some of them uh, just on the horizon. Um, for anyone that's seen Black Mirror, they... He really, uh, the Black Mirror is very close to some of the stuff that is um, going to happen or is already happening uh, around us. Of course, a fictionalized sort of uh, version of it, but geez, um, some of the, the horrors of it are, are getting very close. Uh, just about to the end of the program. Um, before we do, did you have any uh, any comments on that on that quick segment? Well, it's quite chilling. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I, I guess the flip side of that was one of the more interesting conversations I had at the Beyond Psychedelics um, conference in Prague back in June, uh, chatting to somebody that curated virtual reality experiences and another person that um, did, um, uh, I think it's EEG, brain monitoring, like uh, neural feedback stuff. So it was like brain training different areas of the brain to like... Uh, basically measure activity in different areas and, and use a, a, a tool to help you uh, increase activity there. And the way that those two technologies could be um, 
integrated to to create a curated experience. So, you know, I think with these technology things, there's there's pros and cons, and it's all about how it's used. I mm. think the description that he was giving about Facebook is absolutely chilling and kind of makes me feel creepy and weird. But it's also worth acknowledging that there's other applications. So, for example, people talk about people staring into screens. Well, I know people that are speech pathologists where an iPad has replaced a $15,000 piece of technology to achieve the same thing. It's um, Mark started that talk because um, he was at a psychedelic symposium, EGA being a, a psychedelic symposium, bringing people from all across the world. So he sort of contextualised and said, well... Technology is, uh, in many ways, like a drug. Uh, the reason why drugs, as in the, the, the like MDMA, cannabis, etc., work within us is because we already have uh, the the mechanisms within our our brains to make them work. It's not that we're introducing something that's completely novel. It's that we're speeding up or slowing down some process that was already happening, which is what technology does. It's it's very very similar, um, and it does change. Um, it augments reality. There are ways that we can do that with uh, with technology uh, in, in ways that we, people don't really necessarily think that it's sort of augmenting their reality. But even things like just building a, a bridge across a river completely changes the way that um, that people can interact with their landscape. Uh, that's just a very basic example. But this is the kind of stuff that we're interested in beyond the the drug stuff. I think, and and it's um, I, I like to think that it's. Uh, psychedelics have sort of inspired me to look in at, at these things and um uh yeah i, I don't know I just, it's a well, very I don't good think talk that's uncommon i think the fact that there was a virtual reality machine in one of the main rooms at um the beyond psychedelics conference is testament to that mm. and there is a lot of uh in fact we're hoping um i probably shouldn't announce it but no, I won't actually. Uh, events, ah. events for the for this week. <laughs> uh, anything going on? Yeah, well, the the Sydney cannabis picnic was cancelled um, last week, and it's been rescheduled now for October the twenty seventh, um, and that will be happening in Victoria Park at the University of Sydney. Um, and one that's upcoming, it's it's not for a few weeks, but it's probably good to just get it on people's radar. The Unharm Yearly Fundraiser Undead, uh, Undead 3, will be happening in Sydney on Saturday, November 3rd from 9pm. Um, and that's, by all accounts, a fantastic and fun event. It's kind of like their party night to, to raise money. It's important to have those uh, every now and then. Um yeah, we've got a few announcements that are coming up. Nothing to announce this week um, because we're still sitting on it like a golden egg. Um, but uh, things coming up for the end of the year. Um, and I'm going to go enjoy the weather again. I'm starting on the weather, ending on the weather. Gosh, trying not to. But <laughs> you I didn't actually it. say anything about the weather. No, I tried. I, I said that I wasn't going to say anything about it, which is unfortunately saying something about it. Uh, thank you, uh, Ash and Penny. Um, and thank you to the Fair Treatment Campaign uh, who launched on Friday. Uh, and thank you to um, the EGA crew for putting out those videos, youtube.com forward slash TV. This has been In Psychedelia. Queering There is up next. Uh, enjoy your... <laughs> going to do it. Enjoy your uh, sunny Sunday afternoon. See you later. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website.
3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au.